Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Talking Pictures. We are back, and this time we are back with one of the major phenomenons of the year. Yes, you guessed it right. It's Barbenheimer, and because it's special, so we have uh, two special guests with us today. Uh, I'd like to start with Dhruv. Uh, Dhruv is an old friend. He's uh, a student of NYU, and uh, he writes very ardently about cinema. And he's also a sports fan, so I I, I made a point to uh, I mentioned this, and yes, so he has a podcast, uh, Queen is Dead, where he invited me as a guest, and uh, we recorded I think a fair amount of episodes. A lot on Halloween and horror films, especially. Yeah. I generally we ten, generally tend to disagree with each other, but uh, it never turns into a fight, thankfully. <laughs> so yes, really. Yeah, yeah. Why, why will it turn into a fight? I mean, thank you, thank you for the int- introduction. Even though I think I, my all my reputation is lost after the Spurs fan. Thing. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you uh, have a like very promising season. There, you know, I mean, we can talk about that later. But yes, yes. And, no, but thank and, you so much for inviting me. Yeah. Okay, and yes, and we have Shashwat today. Shashwat is also an old friend. We met. Uh, I, on a rainy morning at Kolkata International Film Festival, where we watched a Korean film, and mm-hmm. that was when we met. And but more importantly is that Shashwat is one person who can tell you all about love years, and he is one of the most patient guys I have seen who can like sit through ten hours just watching Revolution of Filipino Family, and then he ends up writing about it ten pages. I think so the ten pages is just like the introduction, like, like that's. Yeah, that's so, yeah. Just so, so the running, so the running joke in our circle is that there's this Adam Driver film called The Report, where where he wrote like a three thousand five hundred page long report uh, about some like torture, and we so the, the running joke is like that's the average length of one of Shashwato's reviews, and like it's it's, it's true. Like we we are not doing that so. Yes, yes, it is, it is. But more than that, oh, there is also that phenomenon. The Shashank also watched Oppenheimer six times. We'll also talk about that, which is also a tremendous feat, I believe. And he's usually a very introverted guy, so again, it's an achievement for us also to get him to talk here, if he ends up talking. Okay. No, no, I, I want answers uh, from Shashuta on the six times of Oppenheimer because I just watched it the second time, and I think that's. Uh, challenging, <laughs> but okay. Right. So right. yeah, let's so, let's let's okay let's talk about be, like Barbenheimer, the event, the phenomenon, and like so, like before. So the first thing that I would want to know from all of you is like before the films even came out, what was your expectations from the films, and like how were you excited, hyped about the event? Shashwat, why don't you go first? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll go first. Uh, so for Barbie, I mean, not so much for the event as such because I wasn't looking forward to Barbie as much as I was looking forward to Oppenheimer because from whatever promo material and etc. trailer of Barbie I saw, like the vibe I was always getting was that like I was wondering how this thing produced by Mattel, which looks so like how could it be anything. Uh, with a little more depth than you know like what what Tuhin called uh, like a two hour long uh, or I don't know I don't remember the, the run time like a commercial for yeah. Mattel or something so so yeah so I was not that interested 
But when I watched the film, I liked it much more than okay. But we are not getting yeah. to that now. Whereas for oh, for Oppenheimer, I was like, I mean, I I liked his last film, and so I was interested to see what he would do. But I I was also surprised that like when he like like when he decided to a biopic because I thought like, I was wondering how Nolan would do a biopic with like. Like compared to how I'm used to watching biopics, and still do something, you know, like which which we call like Nolan-esque something instead of it just being as like a a stereotypical story about a man's life or something. So that was something that yeah, interesting. Also, fun fact: Shashwato is the only person I know who loves the shit out of Tenet. Like, oh wow. I I was about to ask by by the last film do you mean Dunkirk and you like just skip Tenet because that's what I tend to do. <laughs> I think I think Shashwato shot saw Tenet like four times in the theaters oh, if wow. I'm not wrong. That's yeah, yeah. another yeah. achievement I think. Yes. <laughs> But, yeah. So Rajit, what about you? No, no, I'll I'll go later. Dhruv, you. Say yeah, okay. Well, let's start with uh, about about Barbenheimer. Yes. Uh, so I I think I was. Uh, I'm always excited for a Nolan film whenever it comes. Despite my, uh, so I think Tenet was the point where I was a little like, okay, I think I I'm going a separate way to whatever way Nolan is going. Uh, but I've always liked most of his films, and I rewatched a lot of his films, uh, building up to Oppenheimer. So I didn't watch. I generally don't watch trailers as such, but but the hype was there. Uh, I was very curious about the curious about how Nolan tackles this because I thought it was very much in his wheelhouse. I think he. he's generally someone who's very good with uh, cynical narratives i feel like he does right. he does capture sort of machinery chaos and all this thing much better i think than i mean my i would say that something like memento for me works much better than interstellar like that's my sort of you know uh, log line for nolan in general that he operates better with uh, like cynicism and um, sort of you know cyclical narratives rather than you know this optimistic pro- sentiment i don't think he's a good sentimentalist in in many yeah. ways but uh, but yeah with babi again i i was less excited as ashutosh was saying i didn't actually know that matter produced it because i try and avoid whatever um, pre production thing was there about it so i didn't really know about that i had seen white noise and that had put me off actually Oh uh, yeah, it's it's so, uh, pretty 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 bad. I'm sorry. I love Noah yeah. Baumbach, but it's uh, pretty bad. Yeah, and I, some of the trailers for Barbie gave me slightly white noise sort of vibes, and I was like, uh, I don't know about this. Uh, but but yeah, I think I I'm I guess I'll be in the minority here saying that I like Barbie more than Oppenheimer, but I did really enjoy Barbie. Oh, right. I thought uh, Barbie. I uh, will get to it of course more uh, but I I I think generally the whole Barbenheimer thing is one of the best things like as a phenomena one of the best things to happen recently I was talking to someone and I was saying that regardless of whether you like or not like these films it's insanely refreshing to see mm-hmm. two medium budget no it's not medium they are pretty high budget but like two whatever auteur/studio films which uh, are there releasing together and uh, luckily and whatever the both of them have done so well so it's just like one of those whatever uh, gives you faith back in whatever your outward driven bigger budget films also you know doing well rather than whatever marvel 24 27 29 whatever's releasing nowadays so yeah like the phenomena itself i think is very valuable uh, for a cinematic sort of 
in the cinematic landscape right now and i'm glad it, they they've done well like uh, both of them so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. totally so rijit what uh, about you i um, so yeah so like the thing is i, I wasn't aware of this uh, last year i think they released barbie released something like uh, a sort of yeah. or a sort of thing and i was very intrigued that at that point uh, that something like a barbie could be made into a movie Mm-hmm. and uh, unlike queen here or like i think ruby also like mm-hmm. i am not a big fan of noah baumbach or greta garbik either mm-hmm. i mean i like greta garbik the actress mm-hmm. but uh, as a director i'm not i i still remember cursing queen because he forced me to that mad story film in mumbai <laughs> okay i am i'm not a big fan of them yeah. i was so fairly surprised that uh, greta garbik who's like i mean whatever my preferences are she's a very uh, good indie filmmaker and she's mm-hmm. making this leap into Warner Brothers and also tackling a subject like Barbie mm-hmm. and uh, in a way it, it's funny because uh, Nolan who has done all these films with Warner Brothers and he you know switches after Zeneca goes into a rival studio and making this uh, making a very different kind of picture than he usually does mm-hmm. and uh, Warner Brothers at the same time decides to you know release this film and in general i think the thing that you were also saying uh, i mean we usually discuss this that uh, recently this thing has come that at least in india i feel people talk about it that there's a rise in ott and people don't go to theaters much mm-hmm. uh, theatrical collections are not that much but uh, films like these they uh, they're made for theaters you know you can yeah. never have the same experience in watching it on a laptop phone or tv whatever it is in your private spaces so and and they really and yeah i'm really glad that uh, these whatever their competitiveness you know they're edging past each other and all that thing whatever it is but it's it has brought people back to theaters and like today i went to watch openheimer i thought it's a morning show people won't be like it was like almost full house and, wow. and like people were enjoying mm-hmm. and it's and it's the only time i've seen in a commercial theater at least uh, where after a film ends people are clapping throughout the theater which also happened with barbie barbie was a nine name show and galgata air nine name show usually you find it's like empty sort of mm-hmm. so so yes so i'm really glad in terms of um, you know that thing like people are going to the theaters and enjoying it it's exactly as it was meant to mm-hmm. so yeah great phenomenon for us i think it's something to be remembered uh, you know yeah so uh just like some stats of the like what i just was reading just before uh, we started recording so barbie has now become like warner brothers highest grossing film ever and oppenheimer is like now the second highest star rated movie in terms of like uh, collection just after joker and it might even cross joker uh, there's a good shot of that as well so yeah i mean as- aside like keeping aside what we think our personal opinions about the movie and the how much money it has made it's like uh, you said it's uh, very very refreshing to see that people are coming for like original ideas like barbie is like a mattel uh, toy or whatever but the story is original it's mm-hmm. uh, you know like an original screenplay and uh, like it's it's great to see like people coming for filmmakers and the subject rather than you know it's part of some franchise or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. nonsense yeah. that we have so much around uh, these <laughs> days and uh, yeah so like 
uh, that that's great i mean i think this same thing top gun maverick did last year and yeah, then things sort of went downwards a bit but this year again uh, i thought yeah the theaters given that there is this uh, sag aftra and wga strikes happening right now mm-hmm. and so many releases are getting deferred to next year and like they've been taken off the release calendars so this sort of a boost to theaters was needed and it's still going on people are still going back to the theaters to watch this movies like multiple times so that's a good thing that i think the- like theaters benefited a lot uh, from mm-hmm. this so yeah it's 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 good to see but things are pretty uncertain uh, you know given the future because there's no resolution to what's happening Uh, right now with respect to the strikes but well i can only hope that you know the people who are striking they get what they want so and i mean have... the hope won't the hope be that uh, sorry to interrupt you but uh, won't the hope be that uh, the strikes and everything sort of you know pushes the industry even more towards slightly more independent means rather than you know the product mentality that's sort yeah, of of, uh, of course yeah. uh, i mean see independent movies are not part of the strikes anyway like you still have yes. independent movies releasing through like and i think uh, unfortunately i could i would say maybe uh, one side effect of the strike is that independent movies from like a24 or neon are releasing and doing very well like hmm. certain r rated movies or mid budget movies of 15 20 million or even like five like talk to me for example like it's mm-hmm. less than 5 million dollars and it's yep. grossed like 10 15 times of its production budget so that's really good to see that these mm-hmm. sort of movies are doing so well because there's nothing big around in the theaters yep. but yeah i do feel like yeah studios do have a part to play in terms of, of what sort of films get made this big big studios so yeah it's would be great if they agree to things as soon as possible but who knows how long this stretches out yep. yeah so anyway let's uh, let's start yeah, with this uh, one thing yeah, yeah sorry uh, but just before we move on to him you mentioned like what uh, warner brothers has this like barbie is the highest grossing film of the warner brothers yes it crossed harry potter deathly hallows part 2 uh, oh, recently okay. and uh, it's on that it's on track to become like the highest grossing film of 2023 as well so i mean this was like this was totally unexpected and i can't stress enough how the financial success both of these movies had that has been totally unprecedented because like nobody in their wildest imaginations would think something like oppenheimer which is like an r rated 3r so dialogue heavy movie that's like making close to like 1 billion dollars in worldwide gross and you know people are going to watch it uh, that many times so yeah this and same with barbie i mean nobody really gave it a shot the reason i asked about the barbie thing is because uh, i think i read somewhere that when margot robbie she pitched the movie to one of the she said that this is going to be a billion dollar movie and you know trust me on this and it and it really ended up uh, being so and and you know greta garbi as a director like she usually makes these like indie films and taking a leap and you know making those sets and all that anyway we'll get into that so i i i'm sort of like shocked like hearing that yeah. i mean like, since you yeah. bring it up let's just get into barbie like uh, orijit yeah. why don't you start what did you think about barbie hey barbie can i come to your house tonight sure 
I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. You can find me under the lights, diamonds under my eyes. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday, and so is tomorrow, and every day from now until forever. Yeah. You guys ever think about dying? Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I like to tell me, but I mean, uh, it, it, uh, it starts with that, uh, you know, homage to that uh, Space Odyssey. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. And it was interesting to, yeah. They're actually, you know, like the influences of the movies itself, they are like so interesting. Like there is this video online on, on YouTube of Greta Gerwig talking with Letterboxd about mm-hmm. like 30 films yeah, which, influence. which yeah, influence yeah, yeah, yeah. Barbie and the range of influences there from like Jacques Tati to Stanley Kubrick to even like modern sort of comedy movies. Like yes, it's, it's yes. such an interesting bunch of films that she sort of recommended and got inspired when for. She was recommending uh, those films. Uh, I was eagerly waiting for her to recommend the Truman Show because the trailer yes. gave me a vibe uh, that it, it might be that sort of thing. But anyway, so when I was watching the film, yeah, that actually the Space Odyssey sequence and there's also a very strange reference to the Matrix. Uh, uh, that uh, what's the name of that Barbie? I forgot. I think weird Barbie. She gives this uh, pair of shoes and uh, asks her, the, "You have to select select one." And she selects the Barbie shoe. She says, "No, no, you have to select this." So it's a matrix thing. Ah, okay, okay, interesting. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. So, but I, I mean, for me, it's just one thing that I'm very confused about. That is like, I mean, I I get that the film is very self-aware, uh, <laughs> conscious of what he's trying to do. I get the references. I get get the whole point of uh, what Barbie is trying to talk about. Mm-hmm. But I mean, isn't it self contradictory at at some point? Because it's like a studio backed film. It's uh, made by uh, one of the richest companies ever, and it sort of feels to me that uh, this movie is. I mean, I, I don't want to get into that space, but it just sort of feels to me that this movie is like sort of a whitewash to you know the sort of thing these companies usually do you know they do stuff and they make sort of this kind of thing to whitewash their actions so i don't know i'm very i'm i'm contradicting mm. on that sense no i get yeah, I, I totally them. totally get what you mean though uh, mm. even though uh, i uh, so i think what you're saying is correct i mean it's there's so many ways to like look at barbie i, I mean same with oppenheimer mm. but like to me it was uh, like the film i think from like just a production phase, I think is uh, like a compromise, right? Because it's again, the whole actor studio thing is there. Like that tension is there throughout, I feel like Mattel is producing yeah. it and Greta Gerwig is making the film. I just think for me, it's basically in the battle of those two things, the artist kind of comes up more and trumps sort of than the company mentality, I feel. Like I think the amount of critique the film manages to put in or sneak in about Mattel and about, you know, whatever product mentality and commercialization. Sure, it has like those occasional moments where, you know, it'll freeze frame to like almost advertise uh, like a yeah. like a Barbie uh, outfit or whatever. That's like an archival mm-hmm. outfit or whatever. But I feel like overall, you mentioned like the references, which I, I, I was reading up that only like whatever Greta uh, Gerwig had mentioned as references. But I was thinking about other references. So again, that's probably just me overthinking it. But I was thinking more about, you know, Under the Skin, 
by Jonathan Blaze. I was like, why am I thinking about that movie when I'm watching Barbie? Like, I, I thought that was amazing to me how that how Barbie evoked that reference even. Holy Mountain, I thought about it a little bit while watching okay. it. Like, like especially the Wizard of... It's kind of like a flip on, a visit, yeah, yeah, on the yeah. Wizard of Oz thing. And um, so I was just like kind of blown away by just the spectrum of... And I don't think they're empty ref- references. I think most of them are used very very well in 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 most cases and i mean i think the 2001 reference especially is very like it sets the tone firstly really well for the film uh and then i love how it's flipped over to an echoed in ken's story uh when he goes to um the the real world essentially and they replay the the song or the whatever the tune is for from the opening of 2001 and i thought like the whole film to me just struck this balance between real and plastic in a way which like really yeah. uh, <laughs> really made sense and i i i know i've heard like i i love ryan gosling in this i think he's great but i do think like the heart of it does come from margot robbie i thought she was yeah, yeah. She, she in both she she she, 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 uh, she really provides the humanity i feel to a lot of it but but uh, Zoom, like this mm-hmm. like this question i have is like when you're saying that it's like the artist versus the company and mm-hmm. maybe the artist edges of the company at some mm-hmm. point. But um, is it also possible that the company makes us believe that the artist wins? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I totally understand it. It's just that I think in that position of compromise, I am choosing at least to see the fact that, yeah. you know, I I got more out of it as a sort of form, form of critique of uh, commercialist or whatever commercial capitalist mentality. I mean, I, I was surprised by how much Mattel comes across as the quote-unquote villain in this. Of course, it's a farcical yeah, yeah, villain, yeah. but like they do come across as really like, I, I'm I'm not a Will Ferrell fan, but I thought he's hilarious in this. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah and these satirical elements also, I think, I'm just sorry, I, I yeah. just interrupted. I think in these satirical elements also when Mattel is coming into the picture, it's like, I mean, because the film is so self-aware of, I mean, whatever you're saying is correct. I mean, I also think it can be a limitation for some people. Like, you know, how much self-awareness sometimes happens. It's like, uh, it's, it becomes a block, like an emotional block uh, for some people to enter the film. Like it happened to a couple of people who I know and they really hated it. I was like, I understand it. Like, it's very arch, which I think uh, Noah Bambach has... Bombak has writing credits on this, right? Yes. Writing credits. So yeah, I, I sort of feel like, uh, I mean, I like the film. It's mm-hmm. not like that way, but I'm in two minds thinking about like how it's made and, you know, these mm-hmm. things happen. I mean, in modern days, we have to talk about it. But I like the film. I mean, how they made it, like it's mm-hmm. loads of pink. I mean, uh, and, and the production was impeccable. I mean, do you know, like, brilliant. do you know, like, they caused the shortage of like pink paint in the world? That was so bonkers for me to read. Like, that one film caused like a shortage of pink dye. And they, like, uh, we usually see colors like red, blue, yellow, green, you know, color mm. theory and all that stuff. But this pink, and they centered the film around pink and use different shades of pink mm. to depict, depict different emotions there. So, that was interesting, you know, that uh, entire production design, the costumes they were wearing, like, right down from how they were doing their hair and shoes and when they're going to the real world and, you know, Ken discovers all these things, so, you know, that in the real world, it's completely opposite and 
then this own whole attire changes so they reflect directly those things so mm-hmm. I, a commendable achievement on that front but it's my feelings are mixed yeah. so yeah <laughs> anyway so yeah so shashwata what did you think of barbie yeah so mostly what i what i would have had to say you guys have already said already which is good in a way because as you might have been able to tell like most of my time the past couple of months or so has been taken up with oppenheimer so it's not like i have a lot of time to think about barbie itself but but yes. yeah but uh, that's the thing so as i was saying before ki like i had this these like expectations ki sorry not ex- like i did not have expectations uh, from mm. seeing the trailer and all like it was not so much the fact that it was produced by, by mattel but just mm. from whatever the trailer was offering me i couldn't think of how uh, like someone could make a film about barbie like this and still manage to do something let's say radical because there is some attempt to be radical uh, very mm-hmm. di- directly uh, but then like i guess that's i guess that's the interesting point like it makes you think about ki okay how how can you do something good with something more interesting with barbie and then i see it and i think yeah it, it goes like it goes some distance but again it's like i think this uh, arijit brought it up that uh at some point uh like there's this sort of like there's this critique but it doesn't go far enough it, it goes to some extent but uh there's this compromise but again that that's this thing that Trove mentioned that ki if we are to expect ki films like uh, super mainstream films films which are earning a lot uh which are being seen so widely to be at least even a little bit critical maybe like the best we can hope for right now is sort of a compromise thing so for example like uh, there's this one moment i remember from from barbie which is that uh, this 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 point where uh, i think margot robbie is like uh, she's she's crying that like she feels ugly or something and mm-hmm. it's at that moment that you're supposed to think that okay like uh, we are supposed to think that this is she's ugly but and yet this is such a like a uh what do i say mainstream production that's why you have a very beautiful actress playing it so she's not actually ugly she's actually very pretty and so mm-hmm. that's that's a realization that i think it was supposed to hit the audience on their own but then you have helen mirren's voice say it out loud and you get a couple of gags in the theater mm-hmm. and so that sort of takes the sting away and so all through all throughout the film i think there are these various attempts to yeah go to a certain extent and then at the end it sort of like it, it tickles you it sort of gets to some point but it doesn't sting you i would say so uh, again and again this could just be me but uh, for example after like uh after all the screenings of oppenheimer when i came out of the theater for example i would be very disturbed harrowed by what i saw uh, after mm-hmm. barbie it was uh, like i was not disturbed or anything by any way it was i would say enjoyed and so there's always this injunction to like enjoy there is this critique but you enjoy it you don't suffer it you enjoy it or you don't worry so much about it you worry to some extent about it but at the end it was like yeah i had a good time and for that of course i'm grateful i went to watch a film and i had a fun time it was yeah so in all that it was there but yeah the critique was of course compromised but then again like yeah that's 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 to be like so after a while when thinking about barbie i sort of like made my peace with it yeah this much this this like it's it's inevitable i would say yeah, so 
just one thing that is so masochistic that your opinion is that i didn't make it didn't make, make it suffer <laughs> enough like that's <laughs> well, I mean, it's talking like, about yeah it's talking about feminism and yeah <laughs> problems it's barely talking about yeah. problems but then the experience you have is one of great enjoyment so just some discord do you di- did you guys think actually tohin you go first but like i i'm vague used to know if you guys thought the loudness of the film and like you know the slightly i won't say slightly it's quite lectury the lecturing sort of bothered you uh i'm very curious about that sort of thing uh so i mean uh i personally felt that uh like it sort of had to do that i personally mm-hmm. felt like you know given the scope of the film and what's riding on it uh, mm-hmm. it had to be sort of like out there so uh and again like the target uh, uh, much of the target audience of the film are sort of like young people who mm-hmm. it sort of wants to appeal to and sort of impart certain you know mm-hmm. lessons or morals for the lack of a better word yeah and so i think yeah like it it's there i did feel it as a mm-hmm. as an audience but i also sort of probably understood why it was trying to be that way but mm-hmm. uh so like whenever i spoken about barbie uh, this is what i've brought up always that uh, like i know i'm probably not like the target audience for the film like it's targeted mm-hmm. towards i would say uh, i think i can we can all agree that it's targeted towards like women and like uh, young women especially who's sort of living in the internet age mm-hmm. uh, especially and so like it sort of s- seeks to empower them and uh, like i so like i don't know what that experience is but from a cinematic point of view i can say like i i enjoyed it uh, because it has some great acting performances like ryan gosling is so perfect for that role of ken like it's unbelievable like he's been very vocal about how much he loved the script and all that but he's is unbelievably like uh, fits the role uh, so I, i enjoyed it i enjoyed the music and everything uh, the movie was trying to do but yeah at some point i did feel like i'm essentially watching a commercial and that that sort of each never left my mind and that was my main sort of drawback with the film like you can critique mattel but you can critique about how mattel doesn't have a female ceo and whatever but the end profiteers of the film are these same people like mattel doesn't have a female ceo even now so these mm-hmm. people still get the money and there was there's this very interesting uh, video that this youtuber called thomas flight made mm. on like meta modernist films about how yeah. like the films we see these days they have the tendency to sort of self reference uh, either the filmmakers works or like like self reference uh, like what it's doing and you know the commentary about mm. itself uh, that's mm. hidden within it so uh i felt like barbie was especially trying to do that like i don't personally believe like a film needs to have a certain politics for it to you know just exist like i do not hold a film to like that high that hard standards i would say but i do feel like when it does try to be political it shouldn't try to like play both sides and that's what i felt like this film was trying to do like it was pandering to uh, this whole uh, progressive uh like you know progressive principles and like trying to advance society and sort of reference its you know like beauty standards and whatever barbie has created as a product but ultimately the 
end goal of the film and the sort of marketing that you see around it that has happened mm-hmm. is to like sell barbies that's so you're the- thinking like they'll i mean that's the whole argument i think i was reading that everyone will take the wrong lesson like the maker especially will take like the wrong lesson or like profiteers or will take the wrong lesson from the film success and like you know churn out a lot of product based ip as movies uh and you know uh, so it's and weird like, like i i mean i agree with what, whatever what you guys happened, are saying i think it's mattel has as someone who i think probably uh, liked like it more than you guys uh, a little bit more i suppose is uh, based on its toys i think my main thing with it uh, that that sort of differs i think is that maybe rather than think about thinking about it as one of those i think it has holes in its progressive ideology when it comes to feminism true, especially true. right uh, yeah Yeah, true. Hello. Uh, can yeah. you just go like the last Repeat thirty it? seconds of what you said sure, because sure. you sort of got disconnected? Yeah, sure, yeah, no yeah. problem. Uh, no, so I was saying that uh, now. Can you hear me? That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no. So I was saying that uh, this. Uh, I think you you guys are totally spot on about you know the problems and limitations of uh, this type of film. And I mean, I think the one of the arguments that people made was that. profiteers and whatever whoever's making money of this film has will probably take the wrong lesson from it uh, and like you'll get a lot of product based ip now without any sort of you know mati- like substance to it i think it's got a lot of holes in it especially when it comes to its progressive sort of feminist messaging i feel a lot of much more intelligent people have talked about how the film is poor with like you know intersectionality and like how it doesn't address a lot of things when it goes there and i think it i'm not going to say that it needs to do all this it's just that because the film is so heavy on its uh messaging yeah like it's trying to do that like you know it's yeah. it's not claiming to be like hey there's like nothing no nothing political at, attached to this just come yeah. here have fun go home like it's it's going there so yeah. it might as well like you know go the full to, way right yeah like might as well at least like stick to one side and not like sure. do both no i agree uh, i i think the advantage uh, i think the film's most successful in in many ways and like you know critiquing patriarchy like not in right, the sort of right. you know Right. real world is patriarchal but i think it's interesting how easily the barbie world turns into a patriarchal nightmare sort of and i do really like some of the gags made out of that though like yeah 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 they were really funny so it's it's yeah. a very enjoyable movie and it's it's yeah. great to see like a movie that sort of decenters men and like you mm. know uh, gives the space to like women through and through and through in the movie so it's great to mm-hmm. see like a movie sort of champion that so Yeah, like yep. so out there in a. Uh, I just understand uh, one this uh, one thing. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we it, it just became like uh, all three of us. We just creepy party so much. I but Drew, I just forgot to ask you. Like um, mm-hmm. you said, you like this more than Oppenheimer. Like what? Uh, I mean, what exactly? Apples and oranges, but yes, yeah, sorry. It is sort of it is sort of apples no, and oranges. Yeah, huh. it is. I know, but I, I'm saying like obviously two different experiences. Yep. Uh, you also expectations are different but i'm saying like what were your initial feelings sort of like or like when you watched the or maybe when you watched it today 
Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, both times, I think this feelings was fairly similar. Uh, so it won't be that, you know, I came out like totally different in both of them. But I wasn't expecting the film to be since, as sincere, sincere as it was in some sequences. Like I didn't expect it to be this committed to, you know, capturing Barbie's existentialism. Like I think one one of the very like lovely moments of the film is when she sits on a bench in LA and talks to this older woman and basically yeah, says, yeah. you're so beautiful. And that's like a really lovely move, moment that's handled. And I think that sense of uh, emotional connection, I felt there was there more so than I expected. And when we talk talk about Oppenheimer, I think we'll get to what maybe my issues are. Yeah, but I like, think uh, that scene also addresses that um, about in the mortality of it. Like, yeah. you know, eventually humans are going to get old. They're going to have wrinkles and, yeah. you know, not have the perfect thing that... Uh, they used to, they might be they might have been pretty at one point of time, but they're yeah. Both, and not and to be very honest, I really thought Kervik's direction for the most part, especially like I just liked how committed it was to like you know making artificiality artificial. It didn't feel right like yeah, it needed yeah. to make yeah. it yeah. real. That's such a good way to put it. Yeah, that, that's yeah. such a that's such a and great way to put it. One more and thing, I also want to. Uh, no, I mean, uh, like uh, Dhruv mentioned before about the artist versus studio, I think like props to Geta Gerwig for like, 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 you know, having out there what it's there, you know, like what the movie is. Uh, I would like to think this is the version she wants to, she wanted to make when she started doing it. So yeah, like props to her for getting it out there, like in spite of the circumstances and the scope of the film. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, uh, forget Dalvik. I would have made it if Doctor came to me. Yeah. Do you, do you think, Arijit, though, as a Wes Anderson fan, Wes Anderson would be better suited to this project? Yes, that was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there's like, you know, we were talking about intersectionality and all that. So, maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, the question is actually to all of you. Like, do you guys think that it might be turned into a franchise now and it might be a sequel or a prequel? Possible. And which tackles these issues, hmm. and who better to do it than Wes Anderson? Ah, uh, yeah. I, because this time I was watching is uh, watching it. I was like, you know, I might prefer slightly more precise direction in some sequences. Uh, that uh, mm-hmm. that I know Wes Anderson is like the king of that, uh, pres- yeah, like yeah. whatever precision. But I then I was like questioning if actually for this movie it suits that Gervais is slightly looser. Because it suits the sort of, you know, reality yeah, fantasy. Is, whatever yeah, yeah. Because Wes Anderson would like, you know, make certain things very morbid. And, and mm. he does it so casually. So, I mean, I think they wouldn't go for that risk in this yeah. film. But yeah, I, one more thing I think, which it's in a very simple way we can talk about. Like, if I had watched Barbie like 10 years ago, mm. like 10 years ago what my age was, if at that age I had watched Barbie, I think uh, I, the films, I think... One of the primary target audience for the film is, I think, people of that age range, you know, mm-hmm. and who are, you know, getting into that awareness. Yeah. I, I think so. And I think we have been past a certain maturity and certain age, and we have sort of like watched quite a few films of different nature. And so we have, so for us, maybe, you know, that disconnect is still there, I think. Mm-hmm. But people, there are people I know personally, you know, I, I have cousins and all. They're like kids and they're, they're still not aware of that sort of um, gender politics. They're mm-hmm. still not aware of that sort of identity. So for them, this film is sort of uh, an eye-opener. I mean, mm-hmm. they might start to think differently. Yeah. So yeah, so I, I think that's, that is the flip side to what we were talking about.
So like one of the main criticisms about the film is, I mean, by the conservative types is that it's sort of anti-man. What do you guys think about that? I mean, I think there's we've there's been enough macho stuff we can we can do with an anti-man film. Also, I don't think there's any problem with that. I mean, first of all, I don't think it is, but yeah, I would. Oh, it isn't. Yeah, 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 and I would. I mean, it just it's so hypocritical to think that a movie that's literally co-written by a man is anti-man. Like that's so weird. But I don't think it is yeah. as well. And no, but especially if you. Yeah, 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 Go ahead, Ajit. Sorry. Uh, well, I was just saying that these are basically insecurities of you know privileged men out there. So, hmm. in basic insecurities, I mean, nothing. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah I mean, it, it, I mean, they whatever they do with Ken and the whole "I'm just Ken," quote unquote Ken enough thing. I think it's doing the whole. It's doing it for both the genders. It's not uh, like being anti-menace. It's being anti-ma. Yeah. I guess whatever right. machismo or whatever stereotypes. Yeah, masculinity. Yeah. Are, yeah. Like, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. It's being anti-patriarchy, no? It's it's patriarchy, yeah. and patriarchy affects both men and women. So, uh, like, when you're being anti-patriarchy, it's yeah. so it's stupid to call it anti-man, unless you're sort of identifying men, men with patriarchy. <laughs> yeah, that is that That's is what is happening. Actually. You, should, <laughs> you know, men who identify, you know, patriarchy with that associated directly. They're forming these connections and they're feeling secure about it. So, I mean, I, I think that's what it is. Otherwise, I, I didn't feel Actually, like you know, the, there's one really interesting point. One of my friends said that they were disappointed that Ken got a song and Barbie didn't towards the end, I suppose. And I thought that actually kind of really worked in the sense that Gerwig was subverting uh, the almost the order in which, you know, uh, how it goes like Barbie begins with like that song and party and whatever and then it sort of goes into almost I actually really love her you know when the film breaks into like these no, I won't say experimental but it's like free form for sort of like impressionist filmmaking like dream sequences and you know I think it's video cam footage almost in the end overlapping over each other like I really liked all all that stuff so yeah interesting stuff okay mm. Yeah, so, okay, like, now that we have spoken about Barbie, let's talk about Oppenheimer, and uh, let's start with Shashwato, <laughs> because six-time Oppenheimer watcher, so, of course, I think he gets this, he has earned this, to go first on Oppenheimer, so, yeah, so, how did you feel, Shashwato? You can just break down each of your watches, like, we don't have a problem with that, like, what changed after every watch? This is a national emergency. Detonator charged. Yeah, so what changed basically? So yeah, it's it's like this was the same same case for like the previous film as well. So with each with each watch, it's mm-hmm. like I'm I'm like uh, discovering aspects to the movie that I have not. Uh, did not notice before and and that's partly because like nolan just compresses so much into his narrative and the way he cuts across time and like like across different time periods and stuff so on on a just like registering level on a cerebral level it takes like it i think it took me two watches to Mm. at least get everything in place but so but as i watched more as i thought about it more what happened was that so 
So it, it it goes back to the question that I talked about, like uh, when I was looking forward to the movie, I was thinking about how can it be? It's a biopic, so how can it be something more than just a man's story? Uh, so how can it be anything more than that? How can it be something that yeah, Nolan does, whatever? So and so what happened was that so as I watched, like so with more watches than that, of course it's still a story about Oppenheimer, but. i began to see more things uh things that are just not about like and so by the time i i watched my sixth time it, it became something it's it's obviously a story about oppenheimer it's about his personal story his personal feelings and everything but it's also a tragedy of let's say how we do science and about some of the danger like so some of the dangers inherent within the sort of institution of science and rationality that we have and uh, so because for me so so this is something again i guess i will differ from a lot of people because i see most people when they talk about oppenheimer they sort of fixate upon oppenheimer's morality like this is not just ordinary people like it's not like common uh, even like some film professors i've heard them talk about ki they 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 have mentioned that like they they read it as uh, an exploration of oppenheimer's guilt which obviously is fine yeah, that is it, it's obviously that but i don't think it's just that if it was just that i wouldn't find it that interesting and uh, for me the most uh, like telling uh, like the telling part about oppenheimer where i uh, it struck me the most is obviously the the last scene where he sort of draws this sort of analogy between so he talks about this he he uh, asks einstein key whether he remembers this previous meeting they had where he sort of brought up those calculations of the this teller's calculation that they could run this mm. risk of setting fire to the atmosphere and then he says ki mm. i thought uh, i think we did of course he's not talking about mm. set, like actually having done that it's an analogy and so on one level as i watched it the of course the analogy grew to like no that, that was obvious that it's about that he he has this fear mm. that he has launched nuclear weapons upon the world but as i was like watching more and more it's it sort of also became this sort of uh, oppenheimer also realizing sort of almost fearing what you know the institution of science has become because see uh, where does this so he is this uh, figure upon whom this sort of thing is pinned he is the father of the atomic bomb even though when he's talking with truman he's he says that oh i did not invent it or something because he thinks of it something i think he thinks of it as a product of science not just something i made as such whereas uh, the way we like our liberal individualism only allows us to think in terms of individuals so pin things on individuals so uh, so the uh, truman responds with but you invented it oh no 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 he responds with it's your mm-hmm. uh, photograph on the cover of times or whatever so yeah so so at the end of the film there's this man who's sort of looking back to this thing where he certainly plays this great role he's sort of the author of this thing but also all throughout the film it's 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 not like he he hmm. ever really had much control over the thing so he simultaneously simultaneously someone who is is in this power to control the thing who's driving the thing sort of to the world to everything to himself even perhaps hmm. but he doesn't really have control of it it's something that sort of almost aut- or like autonomously like proceeding yeah. like a chain reaction which sort of like carries itself forward you don't need some external impetus so that was like yeah. a very like a tragic like that was the what was most tragic for me like 
as i was watching it uh, again and again i was trying to as well, like especially focusing on the uh, sections towards the end where uh, roger rob is sort of really grilling him trying to uh, pinpoint where his sort of guilt lies of course they are trying to fame him in a way but uh, so it's it it was always about like as i was watching it again and again it was always about trying to find this some point where things go sort of out of hand so is there some point where i find okay oppenheimer does this he shouldn't have done this instead of he should have done that or this where he sort of could have prevented mm-hmm. it and I, I i sort of don't see it i sort of don't see any point where it was just his thing to do it or something it was there was this sort of inherent momentum to it which which yeah which sort of started with with when the atom itself gets split uh, in nazi germany and war breaks out in one year like when when that sort of thing happens like as he himself said everyone knows a bomb is coming and so the next race is to just who can get the control of it and so he thought he could get control of it and sort of like so steer it in the right direction uh, so that was his moral high ground for doing it taking charge of it but uh, yeah of course we don't how, what it of course he regretted it and sort of yeah he look, looks back upon it with horror yeah. yeah. check off this project before we go on i just sorry i just have this couple of questions sort of things i'll ask you to shashwat because he watched it six times so like and, and one of the things you actually mentioned is interesting because it was actually happening to me as well like uh whenever i like i was watching the film there were certain portions which like it moved so fast and i was trying to process it and it has gone like 5 minutes behind and i'm into a very different scene right now so that was difficult too so yeah so one thing mm, you were, uh, like shashad uh, you were mentioning that uh, some of your professors were also saying that it's about exploration of open angles guilt and all that so in during that um uh, you know th- that inquiry uh, Uh, Roger Rob asks, like in 1945, you didn't have any moral scruples, but in 1949, you mm-hmm. had. Um, play, when did it start? Yeah, like, yeah, and yeah. in 1949, you had plenty. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. where exactly do you feel like Oppenheimer, you know, started to yeah. actually realize that, you know, this is, uh, I mean, that the moral scruples is like, where, where do you think it? Yeah, yeah, began? yeah. That's that's actually the the question, actually. i was not sort like able to face it back then but yeah that sort of the thing i was looking for as i was watching it more and more ki where where does this yeah uh, that thing come about well i think so the first hint i get of it is when uh, on the morning when they the they're taking away the bombs and he sort of asks groves about mm-hmm. whether uh, you know uh, right. truman has briefed stalin and he says something like it's not much of a briefing or something he just mm-hmm. sort of right. mentions right. it so so that's the, the, the there's this first hint of there's this sort of the like he he thought what something was going to happen but things are not going in that direction but i think it reaches its head in that scene with truman uh, so so yeah. what happens there is that so uh, th- there's this very startling moment where the from the same observation uh, oppenheimer derives one conclusion and truman's secretary derives another conclusion so uh oppenheimer convinces uh, truman ki that russians have enough resources and expertise to build a bomb and to catch up with them basically and so that was a sign for oppenheimer to uh yeah shut los alamos down and give it back to the indians whereas uh, secretary Bra- uh, burns or something his name is uh, 
he says but uh, if what you say is right we have to build los alamos up not shut it down right hmm. so and and it's that moment where he realizes how like fundamentally divergent the whatever the rationality of the state is and whatever his reasoning is and sort of hmm. i think that's why at that moment he says uh, i think i have blood on my hands so this is something that again uh, turned out like while i was uh, discussing with a lot of people a lot of people uh, interpreted hmm. that line to be his guilt for hiroshima and nagasaki which of course it is but i think it's much more than that especially because it follows exactly that line where he talks about building los alamos up so at that moment oppenheimer is thinking about the future so it's hiroshima and nagasaki has happened and i don't think he blames himself completely for it as stross says he never never once regretted uh, uh, hiroshima and if right. he and this is very telling that if he had to do it all over again he would do it all the same and i don't think he's being very wrong here because and that is the tragedy of the film it's like if if he could sort of go back could could at any point he could have done something different that would have changed things i don't think so 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 that's that's the uh, like the like the tragedy of it and so at that moment he realizes how yeah terribly he's gone wrong so yeah he says that so i think that that's it one more thing you mentioned sorry go ahead. yeah 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 go on go on we'll, i'll come to this question later yeah go on, go on no no i also have a question only uh, you ask first uh... no 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 you go on, you go on. i'll i'll go on. Are you sure? Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. okay. So the one question I was asking, I think this is one of the critiques also, and I I've read a little bit about it, where uh, some people have said that the depiction of Oppenheimer is too much as a of a tragic figure. I mean, I, what Shashwata was saying kind of hinted to me. It uh, hinted it to me in that sense. Did you guys? So you think? more than moral scrutiny it's slightly more tragic and more sympathetic towards it i mean uh, the book on which it is based is literally called american prometheus the triumph and tragedy of oppenheimer so yeah i think mm. it's there there's definitely it's definitely a tragedy what's the film is definitely is a tragic tragedy yeah so i would say that yeah uh, i i personally felt that one of the things that really like made the movie work Uh, one of the things that really made the movie work for me was that nolan was not giving oppenheimer a pass so he did show oppenheimer's guilt and what he felt uh, like after being a part of it but at the same time he had the people around him i mean i guess those things happened in real life as well but he did show the people around him being critical of his beliefs and of his stance on different things including building of the bomb and dropping it because uh like you guys saw in the movie openheimer was in support of dropping the bomb of like using the bomb uh till the bomb actually dropped and nolan doesn't give him a pass for it he doesn't ask us to empathize or sympathize with him and like in the film also it's pretty clear that he's not putting openheimer there as like a heroic figure like i think too many biopics tend to glorify its protagonists in many ways even when they don't deserve it at all like one of the like one of the most obvious examples of this i can think of is like uh, the churchill biopic called darkest hour which is like so disgusting to see how hard they are trying to sort of like whitewash churchill's mm-hmm. history and the horrible horrible person that he was so i don't think like nolan did anywhere close to this but he was sort of always looking at oppenheimer in a more critical sense uh, about his role in 
sort of mass destruction and creating weapons that like threaten us to this day like we maybe not are feeling it as explicitly as the people during cold war felt but the threat is still there upon all of us like both uh, i think dhruv is in the us and the rest of us are in india and those are both like countries that have nuclear weapons and a nuclear arsenal and that's so scary like so he did sort of pin openheimer for being responsible for that in like no matter what what part he played whether he was in control of it or not but he did actively contribute and was sort of like a leading figure in making this happen so yeah i agree i think i mean to me at least it also struck more as ambivalent that way like i i, I also think murphy's performance is uh, good enough in that sense it like doesn't uh, ask for sympathy as such i think it's uh, Oh, oh, I think yeah. such a great performance, right? Like such a such an amazing lead yeah. performance. Like it's uh, something that I think everybody knew was there in him, but I was totally taken aback when I saw the performance on the screen. Like his mannerisms and what he did with like expressing emotions and expressing emotions during like all sorts of uh, scenarios. That that was just fantastic. Like Killian Murphy is so good. But yeah, Dhruv, I'll let you continue. Uh, no, I, I guess I think you guys should. Uh, you guys should continue the praises. I'll, I'll go. I mean, I, I like the film. It's not that I don't like it. I just think there are. Uh... So you just wanna go last after you know the. No, I mean, I, I honestly, right? I like it. It's not that there's only one Nolan film I haven't liked. So I, but that's no two. Sorry, but apart from that, I'm a big Nolan fan. So, but go ahead, you guys go first. I think I have. Uh, I'll build off whatever you guys are saying. Uh, I think I'll address this. Yeah. Yeah, Orijit. So, what did you think since you're mm-hmm. the one so, left? So, no, one thing I just wanted to talk about. Like, uh, Shashank was mentioning like uh, it's almost like a chain reaction that Oppenheimer never had control over the whole thing, which is true. But like, and I asked Shashank actually because he was a student of physics. So, like we know in physics, like it's it has always been historically like maybe when gravity was discovered, discovered it was the it was the path breaking thing, but it was always going against the norms of you know acceptable. Norms of the society, a similar way when the theory of relativity comes into the picture, and in a similar way when um, the atom bomb, the concept uh, comes into this thing. So, I mean, you know, can we call Dr. Oppenheimer a victim of, you know, uh, not even victim might not be the right word, but uh, he might have been in the crossfire of uh, this, uh, the whole. This invention of science and the progress of science and and its contradiction or conflict with the society and uh, is it possible like to look at it that way that Dr. Oppenheimer might have been at the crossfire of that I mean it it was really not under his control but yeah so that 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 is one question I had. But are you asking me? Yes. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I very much agree with that. In fact. So here's a bit of like I guess news as well. So that meme about me writing a lot like that again come true because I've also been writing about Oppenheimer and so I wrote this essay which has gone past six thousand words. So and they're, they're actually so so yeah so so there actually I do I I exactly talk about very much like very something very similar to what Arjit just talked about like about him being caught in the crossfire of this. Development of science of this not development this sort of prog- progression of science like where science sort of justifies itself like it's sort of this ultimate good of society uh, yeah sort of and so 
and the tragic thing about it, it is that it reveals something so horrific uh so yeah but yeah that's that's very much that's very much along the lines of what i thought so yeah uh, i think like uh, i think like nolan in the film was also sort of pu- putting a spotlight on how like science is sort of like a capitalistic venture at heart and if there is ever that scope of something like you know creating like a demand or like a crisis that can be used to make money or you know to spread fear so it will go there like there will be all sorts of systemic backing for it to go there even if it endangers the life of people even if it doesn't actually progress society in a more positive way where it's not uplifting people's lives rather putting it in danger but as long as the money can be made from it it will go there and it will like sashoto said justify itself so he was sort of quite critical of like our systems and science being used like a political tool as a whole and he did show like openheimer to be like a victim of it and i think like openheimer also realized it but that realization was too late and then like things were already in motion that he you know started so he couldn't be in control of it anymore yeah yeah so yeah, so the thing uh, so my experience with openheimer was like uh, i mean i have to go a bit backwards that is like when i was in school and we were just uh, studying all this rather for model and about uh, niels bohr's you know uh, theory and all these things i think it was in class 8 or 9 so i discovered this book it's Oh yo know, yeah i think us bengali kids we grew up with a book called bishash ghatok by this author called narayan shannal and that book was about like manhattan project and uh, about the scientists about it so like this story of oppenheimer and the manhattan project is something that we have read about in our childhood so that seeing that on the screen was also that sort was of was when i first discovered this book and since i was like in class actually these things were being taught and so bishalgatok loosely translates to being the traitor so it's basically about a book about the manhattan project and also how the formula was you know uh, you know taken to you know the soviet it's also a story of espionage so and and that really hooked me into because it's science but it's also thriller and it's also talking about the scientists this also talking about this weapon of mass destruction but also one of the greatest discoveries of our times and Uh, so i was always intrigued by manhattan project and uh, ever since i have been to this films and all this stuff and i had always wished that i would get to you know adapt or write at least something on that and on the first watch of openheimer it was all those like things said all those memories were coming back and yeah. frankly i i didn't expect it to be such a you know heroic or traumatic experience i was expecting it might have i, I don't know I, i thought maybe it would it would have been like sort of an apologetic thing like you know openheimer was helpless and all that sort of you know mm-hmm. playing that playing that victim card thing but i was deeply moved i, I mean what uh, i mean the people how they can exploit you, you know especially um, you have given so much you know and and you're in a position of that's you know in that capacity where you have to take these decisions and which cost you later in life and 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 the scene with einstein where he says that remember um, when you're old you're you know you're balding and and they'll give you this medal and all that stuff it's mm-hmm. not for you it's for them I remember when you did that conference to me einstein then same and 
that that comes at the end and, and that was really i mean moving uh, what happens to mm-hmm. because Oppenheimer is one of the most important figures not just in america it's worldwide i mean we can't look back from nuclear weapon right now uh, in fact we are moving ahead i mean the, the scientists every day they are trying to yeah. make something more lethal than what we have and and we are always in the fear like i mean look at japan look at hiroshima and nagasaki they still have mutants so yes so and but but at what cost i mean openheimer we lost everything and it's really tragic in the sense that in the thing shashank mentioned which actually uh, <laughs> got me tickled even right now that yes he really didn't have any control over the thing it was a war and and even when leslie groves asked him you know you know uh, can he go to the soviet and he says please remind me who we are at war with so they were at war with the axis powers but at the same time they have to hide it from their own ally and and they are also scared of communism creeping into america and you know setting up this house of anti communists and all this so yeah so so all this thing i think i think that is i that really affected me in the first place even today actually that it is difficult it always is difficult when you take responsibility of such big measures and and you really feel helpless you don't um, have anyone beside you also at some point i think uh, i forgot her name uh, the character florence pew plays and she tells uh, uh, jean jean tatlock jean tatlock correct she she tells uh, openheimer you know don't alienate the only people who believe in you mm. and and that's exactly what happens even at the end yeah. so yeah so, so i i'm i'm Like very affected by the film actually, so I might go for another watch. I don't know. Wow. Okay. So yeah. I mean, the scene that you mentioned, you know, Orijit, it sort of reminded me of like Orwell's 1984, where like the enemy keeps changing yeah, yeah. because so, there yeah. is a need for the state to always show that there is right, right. like, uh, like you know, there is a crisis, and like you know, you need to follow us because yeah, there is a crisis. Is, yeah. Like, and uh, so then they have this atomic energy you know advisory committee and stross asks like uh, you know uh, we need to develop the super and open uh, energy yeah. and then he says how else is truman going to assure the americans that they're safe so uh, that you know that politics it's always about that you know that uh, the state provides you security and and you're you're into the secure hands of the state and and you just obey and you know follow uh, what they are telling you So yeah, so that happens. Yeah. So I'll just like I'll start with Dhruv for yeah. this one, but like I want to ask all of you guys like how was your exact experience like the theatrical watch experience for Oppenheimer? Given it's a movie that is like so overwhelming to the senses, like how? Oh, so I, I'll also bridge a little bit of whatever I. Uh, so I think experience I watched. first watch i watched it whatever on a massive ginormous screen it wasn't imax but i i'm not in us sorry i'm in the uae right now so uh, i watched it in like whatever is the biggest screen here it's not 70 mm that's only in 18 screen sorry nolan i i, I can't i i can't go to other places to watch your movie but i i watched uh, it on a ginormous screen with great sound system and it began and i thought it was amazing incredible you know just the the build i i i mean we we'll, i don't know how much we'll talk about ludwig goransson's score because i think that sort of is a key thing to why a lot of the film works for me uh i think 
you can talk yeah, about yeah. it like, i i think it's just generally it. you know the opening only when it's the thumping of the feet and it just sort of the mixing with the fire rising and everything and it sort of just grabs you in with the whatever the uh, the title not the title but the prometheus quote that that begins the that begins right. the thing and I, and yeah. i think just everything technically i don't want to undermine nolan's achievements as a technical director i think it's fantastic and i think that's there throughout the film i don't think there's a single you know false step in that sense uh, i think he uses music a lot in his films that's a key thing for him and i i understand why he does so because i think without the music a lot of the dialogue which on the second watch i thought was clunky i know it, i know people think this is uh, his best written thing i i actually thought in my second watch i thought a lot of the problems that have had that i've had with nolan before sort of resurfaced uh, with his dialogue but i thought just as an experience the bomb sequence is fantastic my favorite sequence actually follows the bomb sequence is the speed sequence and i think that it's the way it's the scene where the screen essentially crumbles or like you know falls apart and it's a psyche and right so i was actually i'll be very honest i was most into the quote unquote imax immersive stuff like mm-hmm. i like i was most into the stuff <laughs> like i i feel very mm-hmm. odd saying it but like i was most it was like a jolt you know the visions he has the impression sort of images right, right, that sort right. of show up i was like okay this is the movie i am most intrigued in i real so whatever you guys have said essentially i love theoretically theoretically i do love it so like i do love where the film positions itself uh but i'll go into that more but after you guys uh going to your sort of experiences as like a cinematic experience i suppose that's the that's the very nolan thing suppose, yeah yeah and i think i agree with dhruv about the dialogues part because i feel like the best work nolan has done in terms of like dialogues has been with like mm-hmm. with his brother like whenever he's written with jonathan like the films have had incredible like immensely quotable dialogues that like stick to you but as soon as he took that up on himself i think that has sort of taken the back seat uh, you know in terms of like like uh, dialogue writing and how like that plays such an important part of his films so yeah he he doesn't have that much uh, like quotable lines or that that's a factor that should be but yeah like nothing uh, like memorable enough in tenet or i think before that also in dunkirk But yeah, so uh, that's something. But yeah, Urijit, what about your theory? Yesterday I watched an IMAX, which is not like I mean digital IMAX, so what we call a IMAX. Mm. But <laughs> yeah, but it was a large screen. I really liked that uh, they used this low frequency, and it was all those you know visions and dreams when he was having early in the film. All like, we could literally feel it. We were sitting in like somewhere in the middle rows, and we could literally feel when those pumps were low frequencies were coming. and that was amazing you know you literally your chair is shaking and you are feeling that even when and my favorite sequence is also the one that you mentioned right after the explosion the explosion was on first watch my explosion was actually spoiled because it goes completely yes. silent and there's this blinding flash of light and someone shouts in the theater like ooh like this havoc like, so yeah so, and, and immediately the sound of the explosion follows which is tremendous Yeah. but the sequence after is actually what got me you know the dumping of the feet and the skin crawling off the body yeah. and and he's suddenly into this whole different psyche and then he snaps back into reality 
So yeah, amazing, amazing experience. Um, and one of my friends who watched it before me, he had told me, you know, it cuts very fast. The editing is very sharp and quick cutting, and it moves so fast. I mean, I don't know. I had difficulty understanding it. I didn't feel it that way, but uh, I, I think the reason uh, we some of us might need these rewatches is because I'm also reading the book uh, parallelly, and there's plenty of information and. In the timeline, it moves back and forth, and and it's from different perspectives. So, uh, to cram all those things into a three-hour film, you really can't, you know, linger into any certain space or into certain character for a long time. But uh, I, on the contrary, feel that the edit is very well done because it, at, at, you know, uh, we are like it. It might have have happened like if he lingered on a certain thing. Might have been taken off the film, and which mm-hmm. could have cost a lot because this is something you don't want to miss. You want to be end to end, from beginning to the end, and and yes, it was happening to me also at certain points. I was thinking about something like when before uh, Oppenheimer meets um, Dr. Heisenberg, he meets Niels Bohr, and Niels Bohr tells him to go, you uh, go to uh, study under Max Born. And in between, he shatters those glasses and all that. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, like that was also an analogy to, you know, uh, hitting uh, neutrons. Uh, sorry, hitting mm-hmm. the nucleus with the neutrons. And I was thinking that by the time I, I was like completed the processing, it just went into somewhere else. It went into the sequence with Isidore Rabbit. I was like, oh my god, that was it. what happened. So yeah, it was happening, but uh, tremendous experience. And I, I think. Um, at least, if even if like one cannot afford a big screen, uh, they should at least watch this at a setup which is a proper sound system because the low frequencies and all those uh, it has a very boomy and bassy end, and that adds to the experience of you know living in the atomic field. So yeah, yeah, really good experience. Yeah, I think like like Dhruv mentioned, like Ludwig Göransson's score is so incredible and like so crucial to making the like to to the film, like for making it what it is. Like I think I don't know uh, if it happens with other Nolan movies. I personally haven't. I don't remember it happening. But uh, this film has the background score almost throughout its runtime. Like I think 90% of the film has I'll, some sort uh, of a background score. Sorry to invite, that's a very yeah. Nolan thing. It's, it's, I think he uses it oh, very okay. much. You know, I, I think it's almost too okay. much, but he does. So, yeah. So, yeah. So I think I haven't seen many of his films on the big screen. Yeah. So like for me, this was like very prominent, like that he's uh, like doing it. So, uh, and so beautifully, like to be honest, like every scene where, the soundtrack is and like it's just perfect the score is so perfect and i saw multiple interviews of ludwig goranson talking about the score and the personal nature of it and how stripped down it had to be and what sort of a collaborative you know environment it was between like even him and the editor like because he was scoring according to the pace of edit and the other way around like the edits were being made according to the pace of the score so that that was such, so fascinating to hear and it, you really see it on the screen like like origit mentioned like the film doesn't waste one scene like there's not a single scene that doesn't play like a important role in the larger narrative or you know the larger message of the film and like 
the visual i saw it first on imax and like just the visual effect of seeing it there like yeah it really felt like okay i had to see it in this format and in this way like it really does something to the experience because i saw it twice uh, uh, later and i saw those on like normal 2d watches and it's like such a difference in the experience and it it was overwhelming it was so overwhelming on the senses and it sort of just just really grabs your attention and also it's sort of like just you can't really move your eyes mm-hmm. from the screen like you can't move your eyes from what's happening like there is no point where like i felt like oh maybe you know i should check what time it is or what you know just check my phone for notifications or whatever i don't i try not mm-hmm. to do it at all but sometimes you know when i'm like just having a moment of distraction i will end up doing it but openheimer throughout its run time i just lost track of time i lost track of like uh the pe- the the sort of where i was exactly and i think the last time i felt something like this was when i saw like irishman and i think orijit was with me and that was another experience where it was like a 3 hour 45 minute movie but it didn't feel like that at all it's like it just went by like the film started and ended and i didn't realize and that was that was fascinating uh for me honestly to experience it uh like that and i found myself sort of like teary eyed at certain points of the films like it it really affected me a lot and i just remember being just shook uh out of the screening like previously my plan was to like just watch openheimer and barbie back to back like with like a okay. 10 minute gap but then i couldn't get tickets for one of the shows so there ended up being like a 2 hour gap and i was like very mm-hmm. thankful that that had happened because i saw openheimer first and i really needed some time to just settle myself after what i had just experienced it's it's such a it's 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 yeah it's 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 like cinema you know like in big bold letters <laughs> so yeah uh, through what so did you i i hate to i was listening to all this and being like i wish i had like this sort of overwhelming experience i think this is one of the things i said it like to a couple of people also straight after when i ended i was like i liked it in a sort of you know when i first watched it i was like it was too so i think arijit kind of said it arijit said it that you know uh it doesn't have time to linger on stuff it doesn't have time to you know uh talk about, like stick to something and then talk about that it has to like consistently keep on moving right that i would say that's probably my biggest issue with the film i think a lot of it just registers to me informationary i so theoretically what you guys said about you know this the film itself being bigger than um, bigger than openheimer himself i think i got that definitely uh, in the first watch even in the second watch like i've written one of the notes i mean it was like it the film is completely at crossroads right like it's it's between hero and villain like he's both perpetrator and the victim it's essentially fission and fusion right that's the two chapters also uh, it's atom bomb and h bomb uh he's faithful and unfaithful unfaithful in the sense of he's a womanizer and like you know he uh cheats on whatever woman he's with at that point in time then there's science and politics which i think is the other dichotomy which like he's he's a scientist but he kind of becomes a politician and then my favorite like just just from a structure point of view was placing the whole story between you know world war 2 and cold war it's two different wars two different right. enemies he's right. exactly you know all these things i love on a whatever macro level and like you know i like what he's going for i don't think it's going for like you know your hagiographic uh, 
biopic yeah, about uh, any of this i just like i i just thought a lot of the character relationships to me were just like you know person goes to room talks about this i get that but then i don't get anything else i'm like okay i got your information but i didn't register anything much from it and i think this happens a fair bit throughout the film uh, i think especially the personal lives of the his personal life is under cut i think in i i i think emily blunt and florence pugh both are quite underserved in this uh, i know some people really liked emily blunt's performance in character i i thought it fluffed it quite badly honestly uh and uh, and i mean the other things yeah so i think one of the things that cuz i was watching a lot of the sorry if i'm please do interrupt me and like you know push back against my complaints if you want i don't want to no no please carry uh, on no no my complaints are so i think one of i'm more of a fan of sort of you know i'm a dunkirk i'm a big fan of dunkirk and to me this struck as slightly an anti dunkirk on many levels like it is theoretically of course because you know dunkirk takes place on the ground where all the action is taking place and it's capturing chaos everything people don't have time to speak to each other it's largely dialogueless right this is like all dialogue and like you know people in meeting rooms talking to each other and uh, i am a big fan of the film cynicism uh, i really i think it's quite astounding that a film of 700 which is gross like 700 million ends on a note of nuclear holocaust essentially and goes oh. like you know we are kind of doomed and is history is cyclical us is consistently useless uh kind of like that and i'm like you know i i really respect the film for saying all that doing all that yet i always felt i checked my phone the second time i watched the film i was like you know yeah. i'm not sure i can i was like okay like one hour had passed and i was like okay we are on this conversation so i was like w- waiting for you know the moments which i really like to sort of arrive so like hope like i love the opening i love the uh bomb sequence is great i mean i think i think actually one of my favorite performances from the film is matt damon i really like his character i think he's like whatever the slightly yeah, yeah. more entertaining there's i think there's a relationship there between the two men that i think is established better than uh than the other ones i mean what do you guys think of the rdj and no open eye parallels I, uh, yeah i think that was like i i sort okay. of really dug it to be honest like i the, like the way how uh, like first it is revealed how robert downey junior uh, character of louis stross sort of puts oppenheimer through uh, like a trial but yeah. not a trial you know like they are denying him his security clearance and sort of something similar is happening to him so drawing yeah. that parallel so yeah. effectively through what essentially was like two different yep. point of views because like nolan has sort of said yes. like the black and white scenes were stross's point of view and the colored scenes yep. were oppenheimer so presenting those two different uh, scenarios through those two mm. point of views and sort of drawing like the parallel between those that was a, a sort of really interesting to me and i sort of uh, really liked it and the performances also sort of really contributed to the fact like i didn't go there expecting i would like all like you know uh olden eren rikes performance or character mm. so much like that was such a uh, uh it was such a great character and he didn't have like a lot of scenes or whatever scenes he was there in he totally mm-hmm. stole them like starting from realizing what sort of i would 
use the word loosely, but what sort of like evil mm. Strauss was and what he did, and sort of like changing yeah. sides uh, yeah. about him. So like so, that that was really. I think first watch, watch I definitely uh, didn't get a lot out of the RDJ and mm-hmm. that subplot. I remember after because it goes like if if you see like the thingy where like it peaks at the bomb essentially and the sequence with mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, the speech and the Truman scene right and then it sort of goes into a whole different tangent. So for one of the problems I still have on the second watch is that. I think the parallel structure kind of just vanishes at one point in the film. And I was like, wait, yeah. I thought we were bouncing back and forth between these two. And I thought these were supposed to be, you know, play off each other, which like this kind of reminds me of Dark Knight and how that kind of consistently yin and yangs between Joker, Batman, and then the central figure of Harvey Dent. But like here, I thought it kind of was just like, you know, let's forget about straws for some time and then we'll get back to him. Sort of like that. So I thought, like the yin and yang sort of was undercut a little bit, uh, even on the second watch. But I did like his subplot much more the second time. Like I thought the third, like the third half or whatever, the third hour of the film worked better. And I saw like the whole repetition and, you know, one person's character assassination sort of replicating itself in another person's character assassination, essentially. It became the prestige for me, weirdly enough. Yeah. Right, right, and the two were yeah. related yeah. as well, right? So, yeah. Rube, one question I have is like, um, yes, would you have enjoyed the movie more if the editing was not that fast? I mean, if it would have been weird, like, I actually, so yeah. no, no, I, uh, but that's the thing. I think you are right. Like, I don't think, like, the way this is the way Nolan will will have would have made the movie. Like, I think this is like I don't think I can, you know, uh, go, like want more from it because I think there's already too much in it like I think um, I think the editing is pretty good like I don't think yeah, it's a I'm bad asking this question yeah. is because essentially since you're a Nolan fan and this mm. is usually Nolan's uh, style yes. of editing I mean, now yeah. Uh, yeah. so since I'm not able to like you know why like if like why would you expect like to be no, I think it's uh, honestly to me like it's almost like that sort of you know anti Dunkirk thing. It's just you know the editing oh, okay, here is okay. going going between okay, okay. dialogue, 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 dialogue. It's not okay, like okay, going, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it, the, the chaos in Dunkirk to me because it's sort of one location, one time period, everything sort of strikes more as you know effective. And I think okay. in this, it's a bit to me, it's like okay, you're going all over the place because you have so much information to cover. My mm-hmm. uncharitable description of that is like it feels sometimes like a science convention. I don't want to be that ah, okay, science okay. convention report arranged really beautifully, but it still strikes like a science convention report to me. Right, 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 but right. I understand that it like it's had an effect on people. I understand, so I don't want to like deny no, that. Is, is it is it like uh, so? In, I mean, in that sense, did you like enjoy the second? Okay, I don't know if it's just first or second. But did you like enjoy the? Inquiry commission that part more or did you? I like, I like the third hour more this second time definitely. Uh, I I think there's a lull for me especially after like there's some between the bomb and like after the intros he has with Gene Gene Tatlock and all. I think there's this moment where there's a lot of meetings happening and then they are intercutting between Strauss and him and I think. I think that's the point where I was checking my phone. Well, I only checked the time, but like I did check it once or twice. I was like, okay, <laughs> there's quite a bit to go, but but fine. Like I mean, again, I I I would have this biopic attempt like much more than whatever 
else you could serve up as a biopic. I mean, the genre itself is fairly limiting, I feel. And I think whatever he's doing with it, I'd rather have that ambitious uh, take. As a Nolan fan, where do you put this film? Sorry? As a Nolan film, where do you put it in his filmography? According to as a ranking thing, okay. <laughs> like it's... Yeah. Uh, so I... I mean, I, I'm telling you though. Or just in general, like, how where would you put it among, like, yeah, in like a range of Yeah, I, I mean, I, so again, uh, I liked it. I, I I mean, it's probably, my favorite will always be Memento. And I think that, like, carries through a right. lot of his films, I feel. Uh, but right. this would be like, it's somewhere in the middle. In the middle. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, my right. last position is firmly given to Insomnia. I don't like that movie at all. So, <laughs> but like, yeah. So, uh, so Shashwata, what did you think of the Straws uh, sequence, subplot and the parallels? Yeah, what did I think of Straws? Well, I mean, yeah, obviously. <laughs> no, no, just the, just the scenes, uh, like Dhruv mentioned, like, the, like they didn't work for him in the first watch uh, or maybe no, better in the it, second. Uh, How was it I mean, feeling? It's not like uh, like the straws thing itself worked differently for me later or something, but what happened for mm-hmm. me is that so what he's saying that like after two watches it still feels like there's so much information and like it's just information coming and so I also definitely had that experience but but not in a but not in the way uh, he had so uh, but mm-hmm. similar so in that like I I'm getting scenes and I'm getting interesting stuff about them and. I would like to think about them for a while, but I'm not getting that chance. So, yeah. it, it, so, and that was also, but but that was also a cause for I guess thinking about it after the movie. So, uh, I thought you were gonna say that was also yeah, a cause yeah, for yeah. Six watches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but but that is that is the thing. I sort of understand that this is what Nolan does. That he would he mm. would pack in as much as he can but of but he won't make it a love dears movie that stretches 10 hours so uh, so i'm i'm for both extremes so uh, yeah. this so what he does is this so all you can do is so for me what is that uh, the thing that happens is that so after roughly two watches and thinking about it uh, mm. alongside and reading about it all the sort of information and everything sort of falls into place and after that when i watch it i can just sort of you know there's this I guess now cliched line from Tenet, don't understand it, try to feel it. So it, it was that once I've gotten past this understanding part, now I can sort of feel it all the better. And so so I think that's that's something that Nolan's films, it's sort of, <clears throat> unless you watch it a lot of times, like, I mean, you can still, I guess, get a pretty good experience. But for me, it's always been that key. The more I watch, the more, the, the first time it's, like the, the difference between the first watch and the few watches later, it's a big difference. So, yeah, that always happens. So, You know, one thing I think when we're talking about Lewis Strauss, I think uh, when I'm reading the book, I find that Strauss is also in a in a very similar conflict. It's, it's mm-hmm. not the same as Dr. Oppenheimer, but it's in a very similar conflict where, and he's a very, like, even in the film he says that he's a very self-made man and he, he rose up the ranks through you know, being the chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission and then later being on the advisory board. And of course, he had high ambitions. He wanted to be a senator, and, which obviously drove him to do that. But there was this sense of uh, defenselessness and there was this sense of false security in America at one point. And Strauss was one of those believers, if we really see it from his perspective, at least that's what the book says, that uh, it, it, you know, he was also he belonged to that faction who 
believe that yes, uh, if we don't get to the finish line first, the Soviets might be there ahead of us, and, mm-hmm. and it, it can be difficult at that point. And we all know how the situations were. It was the McCarthy era. So yes, and I and I feel that that part uh, could have been a bit more, but I guess already people are like you know it's it's a three-hour film. I don't know how much more could have been made because the book well, is seven can, pages book. Yeah. Can I ask you? Because uh, I think someone had told me that the a lot of the book is in the movie. Like I think it's like yeah, you know, yeah. a, I, is I it verbatim or is it? Uh, no, not not verbatim. But uh, I'm I'm halfway through the book now. I'm like it's a seven sure. page book. I'm somewhere around two eighty to like that that okay. area. But uh, yes, a lot of the book is there. And what they've done is basically mm, so there are like uh, explanations. So what happens in text mm. is usually you know five pages of descriptive things yep. that can be into a scene of it. It might not be five pages. Can actually be two to yep. two and a half minutes actually. So yep. that way it's easier. But uh, factually, there's a lot of like lot no. of information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, but I think this is interesting. Like, I mean, I like I think there. Like this time, I was watching the one thing I was noticing. Noticing was like you know there are there are two different ways he was like trying to depict you know chronology of time because the film is moving so yeah. much yeah, through right. whatever time and all that. So like two of them I really liked. Like both of them are visual things. So one is the I think this is I think a lot of people like this one. The marbles. You know, increasing yeah. sort of showing like the process right. of time also right. as going on, right. like the uranium atoms. I think they're collecting, right. and the other one just follows it. I think is the where the miniature bomb they are building, which is also like showing how you know, step mm-hmm. by step they are almost right. getting to the final point of you know doing the Trinity thing. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. you still have. I mean, I'm I don't know what's with the whole Nolan dialogue, and maybe I have just started noticing it too much now. But I'm like. Like people, like because they are condensing so much. Like there's a point where Emily Blunt's character is like the world is changing, reforming. This is your moment. I was like, is really like this? That like is there no better way to to like segment that section? Like you know, from one position to another. I was like, whatever. Like those, I have qualms on that. Or like when he says Kennedy, John F. Kennedy. I was like, is this like a James Bond movie? Or like some uh, like whatever. That's 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 like Nolanisms, I suppose. The Kennedy part, uh, I actually ended up laughing, but a couple of people behind me they were clapping actually. Ah, so so yeah, I I was like, this is like the Robin moment in uh, Batman. Yeah, that was absolutely that. A couple of people started clapping, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I was laughing at yeah. you when he said yeah. because the revelation was sort of like very funny, like suddenly like, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, it's still a pretty solid. I mean, I, the reference points, like again for this, for me, were like Citizen Kane and Social Network. Of course, I think everyone said right, right. One thing I missed dearly, I understand it's a movie of a very different nature. Is like Doctor Feynman's. Uh, I I love that person because he used to crack jokes and he had a mm-hmm. very you know, impeccable sense of humor. So I, I was expecting maybe somewhere you would come and do something, but uh, well, he, just, you know, that one scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he was, was playing yeah, the yeah, bombs. He was, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just says in one scene that, you know, the UV rays are protected from this shield and... Yeah, yeah, that one line was very... Man. That was that was yeah, very yeah, typical yeah. fine man. He he would like sort of yeah, yeah. try to use the yeah. regular materials things around him and sort of show you yeah, science yeah, yeah, science. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, very little. So what can you do? Film about Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah. So, 
<laughs> so guys i think we'll sort of now wrap up uh, this episode it's already like uh like pretty well fleshed out so just before we wrap up one question like we know like greta garwig is doing like narnia movies after this for yeah. netflix but yeah she is and it's i mean uh but like we don't know what nolan is doing but what do we feel about a christopher nolan james bond he did like, that no well, let's start with i mean no, come on don't yeah. say like tenet <laughs> is that i mean i, I sure but it's it's not james bond it's not his like dream So, what do you think about uh, uh, Christopher Nolan, James Bond? Because he's made it pretty apparent that he wants to direct one. But now, whether he gets to make one is the question. But like, how would we feel about it? Uh, I mean, I'd like for, him, for him to make a science fiction horror film, if that makes sense. Yes. Like horror mm-hmm. film in general, or an out and out mm-hmm. horror. I think he could make a good horror film. Maybe yes, he can yes. make James Bond into a horror film, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I have no, I, no, I, have, I am not a James. Like I have watched the recent Craig ones, but and I've also watched uh, Inception and Tenet. I just think he's made it already. I don't know if he can. Like <laughs> I don't know what else he'll do. Uh, but no, you guys go ahead. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that horror film or romance film that he'll ever make. Yes. Nolan yes. romance. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it's, it's sort of, it sort of gets said that. Tarantino was refused a Bond deal because of like its R-rated oh. nature, but given the success Nolan mm-hmm. has with Oppenheimer and like the whole R-rated thing, maybe now is the time they could explore that. Yeah, like, I mean, I would be in for uh, like an R-rated Bond. Yeah, but they are very different R-rated. Like, both of their their R-rated R ratings are very different from each other. Tarantino's equally. Yeah, of course, I get R-rated that. But essentially, X or something. I don't know. Like, it goes beyond. But Nolan's R-rated yeah, like. like So, yeah. yeah yeah this is soft r like very soft yeah, r yeah right yeah. so yeah uh so yeah i mean that's that's it for us then like uh, thanks dhruv and shashwato for joining us we should do this again so much uh, we should do this again another time for like for something else and maybe i don't know origit what do you think about a bonus episode of this where it's just shashwato reading out a 6000 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. word yeah, review you could do like that yeah shashwato are you up for that like we'll just read your 6000 word review yeah, i mean that's, that's the only episode. way anyone will get to know what's written there so why not <laughs> yeah so i think that that we should do but yeah thanks guys thanks again uh, for doing this uh, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah goodbye to everyone we'll see you in the next episode bye bye